Amen. Thank you, Anna, for that beautiful song about our great God. One day our faith will become sight. When someone dies that we love, someone dying in the Lord, we think of our sorrow and our loss. Our first thought should be, what are they beholding right now? The glory of God. To be in the presence of God. The Apostle Paul said, it is far better to depart and to be with Christ. And we will see God in the beauty of his holiness. Please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8 today. Romans chapter 8. As we continue our study of the Holy Spirit, we come to this question. How does the Holy Spirit speak to me? Does he speak to me with an inner prompting, a still small voice, an audible voice? Or is he just silent? The New Testament has much to say about the Holy Spirit and his relationship to Christians. One of his key ministries is to give Christians the assurance of their salvation. You see, you really can't enjoy life until you are certain you know where you are going when you die. And only Christians, genuine Christians, know this for sure. In your notes, you see there are pillars of assurance that I know that I'm going to heaven. The first pillar is the promise of God's word. You see, the Holy Spirit wrote the Bible. Listen to his wonderful promises uh, that he gives to us about our confidence that heaven is our home. These things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. 1 John 5, 13. Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath right now, present tense, everlasting life. Eternal life begins the moment you get saved. It doesn't begin when you die. And then secondly, the works produced by the Holy Spirit. Ask yourself, can other people see these works in my life that testify I'm a Christian? The fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, the sharing of our faith, visible things that people can see. And then spiritual growth. We grow in wisdom. We, we grow in holy living, Galatians 5. The third pillar of assurance is the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. And that brings us here to Romans 8. No one can ever convince me that God is not real and that I'm not going to heaven. Why? As Christians, we have an inner witness by the Holy Spirit that produces a confidence, an assurance, a peace that we are going to heaven. Would you please stand with me as I read from Romans 8, verse 14. What exactly is this inner witness of the Holy Spirit? Romans 8, 14. The Bible says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God, the children of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. May we pray. Father, thank you for your holy word that we have in our hands today. 
Thank you for the promises of salvation. I ask you now to remove the distractions and cares from our thoughts. And may we focus upon you, upon your truth, upon your message. Teach us how we might better understand your voice in our lives. You're leading by your spirit. If there be one that knows not Christ, convict them, draw them to yourself, and save them today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. How does the Holy Spirit speak to me? If you were to randomly turn on Christian television tonight on some channels, you might see some bizarre experiences claiming to be the work of the Holy Spirit. A man will wave his hand. He'll wave his coat, and dozens, if not hundreds of people will be knocked to the ground by some kind of power. Sometimes you see people lying on the ground. I mean, they're just quivering. They're mumbling some type of incoherent gibberish. Sometimes their eyes will roll back in their head. Sometimes you'll hear someone barking like a dog down at the altar or walking and stumbling around as if they were drunk. Whatever this force is, it makes people lose control, lose control of their body, lose control of their mouth, lose control of their balance. And many people ask, what in the world is going on? Is this the work of the Holy Spirit? Is this God at work? And millions of people are being deceived in the name of religion. I want you, I could describe it to you, but I want you to see it. I want you to watch as Benny Hinn actually assaults people on the platform during a revival service. Watch. You may not understand this. I don't either. I don't either. But when the Lord talks to me, I obey him. It's just that simple. There's nothing more to it. Benny says the Lord is talking to him. 
He says he's going to obey when the Lord talks to him. He doesn't understand it, and you don't understand it. The question, is this the work of the Holy Spirit of God? You say, Pastor, I've never seen that here. That's right. <laughs> and you never will as long as I'm here. Is the work of the Holy Spirit of God to knock people down in church? Is the work of the Holy Spirit of God to be able to speak gibberish that nobody can understand? You just heard it. Nobody understood what he said. Look with me on page two of your notes. I'll give you the voice of God. The Apostle Paul writing, Yet in the church, in the public church service, I had rather speak five words with my understanding than by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue in a gibberish, in a counterfeit gift of the Spirit. That is what God says. Now, the, the gift of speaking in tongues is recorded in the book of Acts, chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost. And, and these unlearned uh, farmers who became apostles spoke in foreign languages that they didn't know. And people from 17 different nations, 17 different languages around the Mediterranean rim could understand them, speak the wonderful works of God. That's the true gift of tongues, languages, dialects. 1 Corinthians is one of the earliest books. And what they had did, what they had, they had brought into the church, not just the true gift, but they brought in a false gift, an ecstatic utterance, a pagan babbling. And Paul corrects them and says, no, 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 don't do this. Better to speak five words that people can understand than 10,000 words of gibberish. This is what God says. What you've just seen on video is not evidence of the Holy Spirit of God. Benny Hinn and his kind have nothing to do with the Holy Spirit. Well, then what's going on? Why are all of these people falling down? Some say it is the power of suggestion or group expectation. Did you hear him say it? Join hands. Join hands, I told you. Because if you join hands and you fall down... Guess what happens to the other people? They pull them down too. This is not the work of the Spirit of God. They call it slain in the Spirit. You say, where is that in the Bible? Oh, it's not in the Bible. It's never happened in a true Christian church. The Bible is very clear. Look with me in your notes. The Holy Spirit indwells every Christian, and we are to be rightly related to him. The Bible is clear. The Holy Spirit indwells Christians. And what are the, what are the uh, fruit, the effects, the consequences of that? Four specific commands about the Holy Spirit. And getting slain by him is not one of them. Uh, quench not the Spirit of God, 1 Thessalonians 5.19. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, Ephesians 4.30. Be filled with the Spirit, Ephesians 5.18. Walk in the Spirit, Galatians 5.16. We've already looked at the bottom two, be filled with and walk in the Spirit. And, and you can see that online uh, on the message on June 10th. Now, two positive, two negative commands. The top two, quench not, grieve not. What does it mean to quench or grieve the Spirit of God? If the Holy Spirit is going to speak to us, if he's going to lead us, it's going to be in connection with these four commands. So quench 
means exactly what you think it means. It means to extinguish. It means to smother or stop. Mark 9, 48, to put out a fire. The word means to put out a lamp in Matthew 25, verse 8. Extinguish means to quench. It means to stifle, to pour water on a fire. When we quench the spirit in our lives, we are cutting off his leading. We are silencing his promptings. We are much like the toddler that puts his hands over his ears when mom and dad give an instruction and this little boy or girl said, no, I won't. That's quenching the instruction. You say when a toddler tells his mom or dad, no, I won't. You say that little boy or girl needs the board of education applied to the seat of knowledge. <laughs> Let me translate. That means to be spanked. To be spanked. God expects parents to spank younger children, not teenagers, not even the older middle years. If you don't believe that spanking is the right thing to do with young children, study Hebrews chapter 12, where God the Father says he spanks his own children. Every Christian gets a heavenly spanking. You say, God's never spanked me. Well, then you're not his child. Because Hebrews 12 says, God chastens every son whom he loves. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, he spanks. And so because God loves you, he corrects you, he spanks you. If you love your son or daughter, God says you will spank them. Hebrews 12.10, Proverbs 13.24. So quenching is what you do to the spirit. Grieving is how he responds to what you do. Grief is an emotion. We tell children that when they disobey and they do wrong, they make Jesus sad. That's, that's very biblical. Because here the Bible says that when we sin, we grieve. We make the Holy Spirit sad. Grieving speaks of the personal anguish the Holy Spirit feels when a Christian quenches the holy fire that he has kindled in your heart. You do not quench the Holy Spirit without grieving the Spirit, and you will not grieve the Spirit unless you quench Him. Two sides of the same problem. One describes what you do, and one describes how he feels. You quench makes him grieve. He grieves because you quench him. Now, how do we do that? How do we, how do we quench or silence the spirit in our lives? Uh, let me give you several thoughts here. First one is following false teaching. What you saw in the Benny Hinn video quenches and grieves the spirit. Benny Hinn and Joel Osteen are two of the richest charismatic preachers in the country. Both of them worth over $40 million. You know that spirit-filled people have discernment. Spirit-filled people have the perception that that is not a picture of following Jesus Christ. That kind of excess does not honor the Savior. Charismatic teaching is not found in the Bible. Therefore, the Spirit of God is not going to honor those ministries uh, by, by teaching uh, false, false teachings. The Holy Spirit does not exalt himself. Who does the Holy Spirit exalt? The Lord Jesus Christ. By exalting the Holy Spirit, they actually quench him. So if we follow false teachings, we quench the Spirit. Another way is obsession with psychology. When you substitute human wisdom and psychology to solve your problems, you're quenching the true work of the Spirit, who alone can heal the pain caused by our sins and the sins of others against us. We have to ask the question, do we really need a secular therapist or do we need the Holy Spirit? 
many in the contemporary church, they don't do Christian counseling. They say, oh, you just need to go to a secular therapist, and they will help you with your problems. Why seek the Holy Spirit's comfort if our deepest-seated emotional problems from our childhood is the real problem? I've, I've had many come to me over the years as a pastor who needed help because they did not get help by their psychologist. And I, I have heard them say about the bizarre advice secular psychologists and therapists have given them. Get your anger out. Break things. One therapist told this man, we were in the first building, and he told this man, he said, you need to go to Florida, and you need to go to the beach on the Atlantic side, and you need to scream at your dead father because his ashes after his cremation were sprinkled in the ocean. I said, if you would have come to me, I'd have told you to go to the Jersey Shore, Ocean City, because the Gulf Stream brings the ashes up. I didn't tell him that. Bizarre advice. As Christians, we don't follow Sigmund Freud. Freud was an atheist. But do you know there are no atheists in hell? They're all believers. Too late, but they're all believers. Freud said that America is enormous. Then he added, America is an enormous mistake. Unlike Freud, the Bible says you are not chained by your past. Jesus Christ can set you free by the power of his spirit. Now think through with me. If the Holy Spirit has power to convict you of your sin, and that's the work that he does, if the Holy Spirit has power to give you the faith to believe, and if the Holy Spirit can regenerate you and make you born again, if the Holy Spirit can plant in your heart the new life, the life of God, if the Holy Spirit can free you from your sin and your guilt and your shame, the hard work's been done. This is what he does. This is the power of the Spirit of God to be able to, to help us. Then he certainly has the power to help you live the Christian life without a secular therapist who does not know God, who does not have the power of the Spirit or the truth of God. Christian counseling stands in stark contrast. Whether it be a pastor, whether it be a Christian friend, Christian counseling is in contrast to the secular therapist and psychologist who doesn't know God or his word. The Holy Spirit wants to move you along a path of ever-increasing holiness in your life. What does holy mean? Separate. He wants to separate you away from sin to God. And as you grow as a Christian, you get farther away from sin. You get closer to God. It's a process. The Bible uses the word sanctification, to be set apart from sin to God. And his work decreases sin in my life and increases holiness. And so we find that you quench the spirit when you seek psychology and human wisdom. The third one, loving the world. Loving the world. Bottom of page two. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now here it is. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. James wrote on the top of page 3, Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore is, is the friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you want to be God's enemy? 
No, you're at church on Sunday morning. Now, we understand what he's saying here, don't we? He's not talking about enjoying the beauty of creation. He's not talking about enjoying a sunrise for you early risers. He's not talking about enjoying the beauty of a sunset or a mountain range or the ocean. Uh, Jody and I took a walk on Friday night and saw this beautiful sunset near our house. And she's, take a picture. And I took a picture. Take video. I mean, just beautiful. We live in Pennsylvania, Penn's Woods. We get to see God's beautiful creation all around us. He's not talking about not loving the beauty of the world and admiring God as our creator. What is he talking about? He's talking about don't be obsessed with the worldly system, a system that ignores God, a system that exalts lust and sin and pride and the fashions of this world. Hey, hey, if you're more concerned about how you look to people than how you look to God, your heart is worldly. It's worldly. Love not this worldly system. One more, self-will. I'll do it my way. I'll do it my way. Three men came to Jesus and said, I will follow you. I will follow you, but where are we going to sleep tonight? Comfort first. I'll follow you, but let me get my inheritance, money first. I'll follow you, but let me go home, family first. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ had an answer to those three men. Luke 9, 62, I, I memorized it as a teenager. Jesus answered and said, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is what? Fit for the kingdom of God. You talk about a call to discipleship. You want to be my disciple? Never quit. You want to follow me? Never look back. God first. Self-will, I'll do it my way, quenches God's leading in your life. So common ways to quench the spirit, grieve the spirit, follow false teaching, follow psychology, love the world, self-will. So how does the spirit speak to me? The Holy Spirit speaks to us through the assurance of our salvation. That brings us to Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, uh, but after the spirit. Do you know the most significant event of your life is not your birth? Don't you like to celebrate birthdays? Uh, the older you get, the less you like to celebrate them. Uh, but we celebrate our birthday. We began our, our journey in this world. That is not the most significant event of your life. Your high school graduation, your college graduation, uh, the day you were married, the day you had children. Those are great events, but that is not the most significant thing about you. The most significant event of your life it's the moment you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And Romans 8 says there's really only two kinds of people in the world. Contrary to the confused media, contrary to the confused courts and legislatures and educators, our identity is not based on our race. Our identity is not based on our background, our economic status of rich or poor or in between. Romans 8 tells us that our identity is not based on our marital status, single, widowed, married, divorced. Our, our identity is not based on our age or our age bracket or our occupation or our sexual preference. Our identity is based upon Christ. 
two kinds of people in the world, saved and unsaved. And this determines who we are and what we are like. Look with me at verse 6. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Which phrase describes you? All right. Do you have a carnal mind or a spiritual mind? So how do you know if you are a Christian? If God speaks to me through the assurance of salvation, I need to know this. I need to have it nailed down. How do you know if you're a Christian? First of all, you have the Holy Spirit. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his, Romans 8, 9. And so what are the evidences? The evidences are the fruit. I mentioned it, Galatians 5. Is this in your life? Love. Do you have love in your life? Joy. Are you a joyful person? Peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Do you have self-control in your life? And if you have these qualities, that means the Holy Spirit's growing. He's changing your personality to become more godly and godlike. Secondly, as you are led by the Spirit, we see that in verse 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the children of God. Can you say that the Holy Spirit led you to college and led you to your mate and led you to your occupation? Is God's leadership in your life? Thirdly, you talk to God intimately. Out of our text, verse 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Verse 15, ye have received the spirit of adoption. We cry, Abba, Father. That is, that, that's the word for dad, daddy. You have an intimate talk with God. Number four, you experience deep abiding peace that you are safe you are secure in God's love and that is verse 16 the spirit itself bears witness with our spirit our human spirit in our heart that we are the children of God I did not have that before I was a Christian none of these I didn't have any of these before I was a Christian my heart was filled with worry, fear, stress, and insecurity. My, my early teenage years were extremely difficult. Alcohol destroys peace in homes, and it did in mine. We have local police officers in our, in our church, and one of them told me that 90% of all the calls that he receives are alcohol-related, car accidents, domestic uh, abuse, violence, alcohol was involved in that event. And that was, that was true in, in my home. The police came to my home more than once. The electricity was turned off for lack of paying the bills more than once. I feared for my life more than once. If you grew up in this environment, you know exactly what I'm talking about. God bless my mom, sitting in the corner with her Bible open, praying my dad into the kingdom of God. And when my dad got saved, here's what happened. He came to my mom, to my brother, myself, and he asked us to forgive him. He started going to church. He started tithing. He started sharing his faith. He started reading his Bible. He had the same name, but he was a different person. God changed him. God transformed him. He invited me to church, and there I, 
I heard how I could become a Christian. It took about four months because I was baptized as a baby and I was told I was good. Don't worry, you're in. When I asked Jesus Christ to become my Lord and Savior and forgive my sins, then something happened to me. Right there it is, you see it. My fear was replaced with peace. My worry was replaced with assurance. My stress was replaced with relief. God took away my insomnia. I didn't need a psychotherapist because I was raised in an alcoholic home. I didn't need pills. I didn't need to explore my childhood scars. I needed Jesus Christ. I needed his love and his forgiveness. And the evidence of this love is his spirit bears witness with my spirit that I'm a child of God. I didn't hear an audible voice. I didn't, I didn't hear the voice from heaven. You are now a Christian. Didn't happen. You know, when Jesus got baptized, John the Baptist baptized him by immersion in the Jordan River. And the voice of the Father said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. They, they heard the voice. I didn't hear the voice. But something happened. And what happened is God gave me a peace in my heart that I know I'm going to heaven. A peace that passes all understanding. No fear, no worry, no doubt. The Holy Spirit speaks to us through the assurance of our salvation. Look on page 4 and you'll see the Holy Spirit speaks to us through the study of the Word of God. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. You say, oh, I've been saved a long time. That doesn't apply to me. Oh, yes, it does. This is for every Christian. As a newborn babe desires milk, so you are to desire this book. If you don't understand what that means, sign up for a turn in the infant nursery. Wait for the child to get hungry. And that baby will scream, I'm going to die if you don't feed me now. I'm going to die if you don't feed me. Screaming. I want food. I want formula. I want, and I want it now. And Peter says, this is, that kind of desire is the kind of desire that you're to have for the word of God. That's not just for new Christians. That's for all Christians. As we study the Word of God, we feed our heart and mind and soul in the Word of God. The Spirit of God will begin to speak to your heart. The longer you're saved, the more this should make sense to you. Not only did the Holy Spirit write the Bible, 2 Peter 1.21, but the Holy Spirit illuminates, explains what he wrote in 1 Corinthians 2.14. Now, I've given a... An acrostic here, when you read your Bible, look for something. Look, listen for God to speak to you. And so the acrostic is specs. I, I, I don't wear glasses. I wear them on Sundays so I can see you people in the back, all right? Uh, but uh, you put on your spectacles, and you, you do it this way. You, you pray Psalm 119, 18. Lord, open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous, wondrous things out of thy law. And so you pray to the God who wrote the Bible, and then this is what you look for. Specs, put on your spectacles. You look for a sin to confess, a promise to claim, 
an example to follow, a command to obey, a stumbling block to avoid. You have to read, in most places, about 10 verses, and you'll find one of these. And then you take a pen or pencil, and in your margin, write down a phrase, underline it, share it, post it, text it, put it out there, and share it with someone. This God, God, God spoke to me through the Word of God. And you're filling your mind with these things. This is how it works. We had a, we had a, had a lady this week. She had a, uh, just a difficult situation to make, a decision to make, and some people were telling her some things. And you know what she did? She remembered something she had read that week in the Bible, something that David had done. And she followed that example, and then two days later, an amazing thing happened. Had she listened to the advice of others, she would have done the wrong thing. But she had filled her mind and heart with what God had said, and God used that. You're, 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 you're equipping the Holy Spirit to speak to you when you study the Bible. That's why it's so important to come to church. So important to be faithful to the preaching of the Word of God and listening to the teaching of the Word of God and your personal Bible study. You don't want to miss the message of God, the voice of God, the leading of God. One more, and that is through the experiences of faith, obedience, and surrender. Now, each of these could be their own point, but I want you to see how they work together. There can be no legitimate spiritual experience that is not found in the Word of God. Slain in the Spirit, speaking in gibberish is not found in the Word of God. Barking like a dog is not found in the Word of God. It's not being filled with the Spirit. But if I read the rest of Romans 8, I discover the security of, of my salvation. Deep, rich, truth, and nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. Nothing I can do can make God love me less. Nothing I can do can make God love me more. And as I read down through Romans 8, it says, Nothing shall separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Things present, things past, things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature. Well, you know what that means is there's nothing in my future that can separate me from the love of God. That means there's no future sins that will make me lose my salvation. I'm born into the family of God. Uh, we have a son that lives very far away, Jeremy. Jeremy and Katie live in Guam. I've been there about five years. They're, they're coming in this week. We'll have a visit for a few weeks. But you know, even though Jeremy lives far away, if Jeremy changed, changed his name, he's still my son. If Jeremy had a conflict with me, which we don't, we love each other very much, but he's still my son. He was born into my family. He's got my DNA. That's not going to change. And it, so it is with you and God the Father. You have his DNA, his Holy Spirit inside of you. You can't lose your salvation. This is, this is, and so what I do is I, faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. The more I learn about God, uh, the more I grow in my faith. And the more I grow in my faith, the more I learn about God, the more I want to obey him. If he loved me, keep my commandments. And so you learn God's word, you grow, your faith grows stronger, you keep his commandments, and then you hit a roadblock. You know what it is? It's temptation. It's pride. It's self-will. I want to do what feels good. I want to do what I want to do. And this is time for decision. And the decision is where the surrender comes in. Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, went through this. He could see the suffering of the cross... 
And in his humanness, he didn't want to do it. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And that's surrender. Surrender to what God says. Surrender to God's will, whether you want to do it or not. So how does the Holy Spirit speak to me? Well, we all have a conscience. We have an inner voice. Every thought you have is not from God. You see, because some of your thoughts come from your old nature. And some of your thoughts come are planted by the demonic host. But God does want to speak to you through your conscience. Please do not say about every thought you have, God said to me, and God told me this, and God told me that. Don't, don't say that. But know this, the Spirit leads us, the Spirit prompts us, the Spirit compels us and convicts us to obey what we know out of the Scripture. But the Spirit goes beyond that. He leads through circumstances. He opens doors. He closes doors. It is a subjective leading of the Spirit. You're going to have a thought, do this. You're going to have a thought, don't do that. Not an audible voice, but a strong a strong compelling, a strong prompting. And as you're in the Word of God, you're faithful in prayer, the Spirit of God is whispering to your conscience, whispering in your mind, do this, don't do that, go this way, don't go there. That is God speaking to you and through you. He does it through your spiritual desires. He guides your mind. He stirs your heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord, and he shall what? He shall direct your path. See, the Bible truth in your mind allows God to lead you. But you can quench the prompting. How do you quench the prompting? Selfishness, disobedience, doubt. It's so easy to say, I want to do what I want to do. I'm going to do it my way. I don't want to obey that command. I'm not interested in serving in that ministry. Stubbornness, pride, apathy, it'll, it'll silence God's voice. It's just like that toddler who puts his hands over his ears. No, I don't want to listen to you. You really need to ask yourself the question, if you do that, am I really a Christian? Or am I a fake? Am I a phony? Am I a fraud? Because if I'm really a Christian, I'm going to believe and obey and surrender and follow Christ. If, if not... What should I expect? If I say no to God, I should expect a spanking. Now, here's the good news. If we judge ourselves, we should not be judged. 1 Corinthians eleven thirty one. 31. You know what God is saying? He's saying, it's a whole lot easier if you get right on your own than having me step in and apply divine chastisement, divine spanking. God's very patient. But don't presume on that patience. Well, you know, I'm sinning and he's not doing anything. No, 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 no. Don't presume on his patience. There in your notes. So take some time this week. I'm going to ask you to read Romans chapter 8, and then I want you to listen. Read Romans 8. Don't talk. Don't pray. Just listen. Meditate upon what you read. And you might begin to experience feelings of conviction, feelings of peace, feelings of joy, and certainly feelings of great security. Because nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. God 
wants to speak to you. May we pray. Father, thank you for your word and the power of it to save us, to lead us, to cleanse us, to empower us. And Father, we come to you now desiring to be filled with the Spirit and not to quench or silence your guidance in our life. Heads about, eyes are closed. You'd say, Pastor Wendell, I have the full assurance of my salvation. God's Spirit has given me a deep abiding peace. His Spirit bears witness in my heart that I am a child of God. I'm convinced. I know I'm going to heaven. If you have that kind of assurance, would you raise your hand? All over. I've trusted Christ as my Savior. You may put your hands down. You'd say, Pastor, I, I think I'm going to heaven. I hope I'm going to heaven, but I have doubts. God brought you here for this moment to receive his gift to take away your doubts and to replace doubt with faith, insecurity with peace and assurance. Now, if you don't have that, you don't have to walk out of these doors the way you came in. You can call upon the Lord and he will, he will save you. He will give you assurance. Now, if you're not sure that heaven's your home, pray with me to either receive Christ or to pray for this full assurance. Would you raise your hand? That's me. I want to have this full assurance. I want to know that Christ is in my heart. Anyone at all, hold your hand up high. This is what God wants to give to you. If you're watching online, God wants to give it to you today. Anyone at all, just raise your hand. Hold it up high. I want to believe and receive and experience this full assurance of my salvation. Christian, may I ask you are, you, are you quenching God's leading and prompting in your life because you're living in disobedience, rebellion, unbelief? Your life is filled with stress and worry and fear. That is not how God wants you to live. Give that burden to Christ. Confess that sin. Find fresh cleansing. Father, bless in our time of invitation. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As we stand together, we'll sing a song of invitation today. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. As we sing, maybe you want to step out and pray at the altar, pray in your seat. Pastor, pastor's wife you want to speak to, public invitation, you come as we sing together on the first verse. If you have a Bible, please open to Matthew chapter 18 tonight. Matthew chapter 18, my message is entitled, Do I Have the Faith of a Child? Do I Have the Faith of a Child? Let me give you a subtitle as well. Though not the main point of the passage, you will find a truth that Jesus Christ is very passionate about in this passage, and that is God hates child abuse. If God hates child abuse, then so should we. Every year or two, I make a handout available to our parents. Uh, I put about 50 copies of it there right next to the Vacation Bible School sign-up uh, by the elevator. How to protect your children from child abuse. And there are many age-appropriate, helpful suggestions 
on that sheet. It's good to review every couple of years. Uh, dads and moms, you need to look for opportunities. You need to make opportunities to be able to talk to your kids about a subject you don't want to talk to them about, but a good defense in this area is to have a good offense, and that is to equip and empower uh, your children to be able to say no to things that God is against and things that they are not comfortable with. And so be sure to get that if you don't have it and be able to read it. As we prepare our hearts for a week of busy ministry and spiritual warfare, God brought this passage to my mind. Would you please stand with me as I read from Matthew, Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse 1. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them and said, Verily I say unto you, Except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. May we pray. Father, thank you for your word and what it means to us. Thank you for the opportunity we have to minister to our own kids and then the children of our community. May you touch the hearts of moms and dads and grandparents to bring the kids. May we do our part in inviting. May the Spirit of God do what we cannot do to save the lost, to disciple the Christians, that we might give you glory for the week of ministry. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Matthew 18 is the fourth of five great sermons in the book of Matthew. And Jesus likens the faith of his followers, you and I, to that of a little child. Uh, this sermon is actually the answer to a question by the disciples there in verse 1, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Uh, this question seems to be a theme with the disciples, uh, isn't it? Uh, the passage is parallel to Mark chapter 9. We find the disciples arguing the night of the Last Supper, who was the greatest. In Mark 9.33, the disciples were arguing among themselves as they were traveling to the city of Capernaum. And Jesus was apparently ahead of them, far enough that he could not hear exactly what they were saying, but he could discern what was going on. So when they get to the house, Jesus asked them this question in Mark 9, 33, same context. What was it that ye disputed among yourselves in the way? I heard you guys arguing. What exactly were you arguing about? Verse 34, but they held their peace, for by the way they had disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. So one of them musters up enough courage to ask the question in verse 1. Now most commentators, most archaeologists agree that the home base of Jesus' ministry was 
Peter's house in Capernaum, there in the north side of the Sea of Galilee. In fact, uh, there is archaeological evidence that a church building was built over top of Peter's house. I'd like you to see that tonight. Uh, first century fish hooks were found, were found in this house. Graffiti with Peter's name was found in this house. In the next slide, uh, you can see what it looks like today. It looks kind of like Spaceship Enterprise uh, built uh, over top of it uh, with a glass floor to be able to look down. And so what happened is, is the, um, uh, the church was built over top of Peter's house. This is one of the earliest archaeological finds of a church, a New Testament house of worship uh, there in Capernaum. And many of you have visited and many of you will be visit visiting it again. Now, what happened is very similar to what happens today. Uh, a teacher is out of the class, walks into the class, something is broken, and everyone in the class knows who broke it. And the teacher says, who broke it? Same answer, silence. Nobody speaks. What were you arguing about on the road? Nobody answers. Now, when you put the passages together, someone, one of the disciples, verse 1, asks the question, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? We're, I'm not going to tell you, Jesus, but we were arguing about who's the greatest. Let me just put it out there and, and get the answer to the question, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And the silence is broken. Now, Jesus is a master teacher, and look what happened in verse 2. Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them. Object lesson. A living object lesson. Bring me a little child. Now, if Jesus is in Peter's house, and if Peter is married... And we know that Peter is married because Peter had a, a what? Mother-in-law. A wife, yeah. <laughs> Peter had a mother-in-law, and you can't get one of those unless you have a wife. So it's very probable that the little child that was brought would have been Peter's son or Peter's daughter. Bring me a child. Bring me little Zedekiah. Uh, bring me little Susanna. Uh, bring this child to me. And Jesus, Jesus is going to answer the question of verse 1. And he begins to teach about what kind of qualities we need to have to be his follower, to be a Christian. And he puts the child in the midst of them. And the disciples are there. And then all of the other people are there around. What you see here tonight is a very... Biblical format for teaching the Word of God. It's an object lesson. We are doing tonight with, this, with these decorations exactly what Jesus did, the master teacher here in Matthew chapter 18. He's a masterful teacher. And by example, he promotes the use of visuals. By example, he promotes the use of of object lessons, droning on in a monotone voice, 
Reading out of a book is not an effective, spirit-filled way to communicate the greatest truth in all the world, the truth of God. When you teach children, use object lessons. The bigger, the better. And so you have this little boy or this little girl, and it's kind of a big object lesson, and Jesus has to teach his message. Look at verse 3 and 4. Verily I say unto you, as they're looking at the child, except ye be converted and become as little children, like the one I've got in front of you, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. If you think only adults can become Christians, you are mistaken. In fact, it's the opposite. The only way an adult can become a Christian is to have a simple and childlike faith in Christ. So what are the qualities of a childlike faith? First of all, children are teachable. Children are teachable. A teachable spirit is a humble spirit. Pride keeps people from learning. Pride says, I already know everything. I don't need to learn anything else. Do you have a desire and a willing heart to learn? Are you teachable? You have to receive the truth of Romans 3.23 that all have sinned. You have to receive the truth that the wages of sin is death and the gift of God is eternal life. To be teachable. Uh, finding one of her students making faces at other children in the playground, Mrs. Smith stopped to gently reprove the child. Smiling sweetly, the Sunday school teacher said, Bobby, Bobby, when I was a child, I was told if I made ugly faces, it would freeze and I would stay like that. Bobby looked and replied, well, Mrs. Smith, you can't say that you weren't warned. <laughs> Teachable, believable. Children are receptive. They are ready to believe someone that they trust. They have a willingness to accept new ideas or truth. Salvation is a gift. Kids know something about how to receive, receive gifts. It's a big deal in our culture. Birthday gifts and, and Christmas gifts. Salvation is a gift. In fact, children receive Jesus far more readily than other people. A Barna's research that a... That a 32% a chance that a person 12 or under will accept Christ, 4% for teens, 6% for adults. So let's take, let's take a quick poll. If you were saved as a child, 12 years of age and younger, would you please stand up? Would you please stand up? Okay, look around. That is definitely, it seems like the majority, you can be seated. If you were saved as a teenager, 13 to 19, would you please stand up? Definitely a smaller group, you can be seated. If you were saved 20 and above, would you stand up? Okay, pretty similar to the, the last one. Thank you, you may be seated. Now that was... An object lesson. That was a visual. You kind of have it in your mind how people were saved and what Jesus is, is referring to here. Children are receptive. And then the third thing I want to point out is children are trusting. To be trusting is, is to believe with an honest sincerity. We see that in verse 4. We see the humility is a quality of teachability and trust. 
So now I want to see, I want you to see that that's very biblical to have a Sunday school. It's very biblical to have children's clubs. It's very biblical to have a vacation Bible school. Look at verse 5, in verse 5. And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. Now Jesus is going to transition from, from the child and receiving the child to Christians are also referred to as his little children spiritually. So preparing for vacation Bible school. Just a couple of thoughts based upon this principle that Jesus is teaching us here. Preparing for VBS. Prepare the physical. And that's what you see in the platform tonight. Prepare your room. Prepare your craft. Prepare your lesson. Prepare your snack. Uh, when, when I graduated from high school, I was a summer intern at my church. They did not know what they were doing, so they gave me the fifth grade class to teach vacation Bible school. I was high on zeal and low on wisdom. And so I took the notes they gave me, and I'm looking for something to be able to do, and, and the one lesson is on manna from heaven. And so I thought, these kids, they, they really need to see manna coming down from heaven, and what better way than for me to bring it to them. And so I went to the kitchen, no bread. What do you do? Running out of time. So I go downstairs to the freezer. Two frozen loaves of bread. My cousin was in visiting from Pennsylvania. He helped me, got a bucket, and we took those two loaves of bread and, and pulled them all apart, stuck them in the bucket, went over to VBS. I ran, ran a bus captain, came, came in, and, and I taught the lesson. And when it came time for manna to come down from heaven, I let it rip, and I took that bucket of two loaves of bread, and I tossed it and was able to cover everyone. What I didn't understand was, being hot and humid, that that half-thawed bread now had condensation over it. And it was like a paint gun sticking to the people. And the poor lady that was my helper had her hair done just nicely, and it just stuck all over her, and she's gooning her little mirror trying to pick it all out. I still remember it. That was a long time ago. I'm sure she's in heaven and she still remembers it too. You know, the kids loved it. The kids loved it. When I did the, uh, uh, the, Gideon, uh, the Gideon story, since I couldn't play a trumpet, I had someone outside the room. And when I went to blow in the trumpet, the guy outside that could play the trumpet, he blew the trumpet. Object lessons. Prepare the physical. Prepare the spiritual. Get your heart right with God. Confess your sins and forsake it. If you want God to use you, then get usable. Get usable. Pray for your VBS kids and their parents. Ask God to save the lost. Ask God to strengthen the Christians. Ask God to call uh, one of these children into the, the ministry. Isn't that Jesus' one prayer request to send, the Father send forth labors? What better place to challenge young people to give their heart to Jesus Christ, the greatest thing in all the world, serve the Lord full time. Sure it is. And then do with all your heart. Give your best effort with God's help. You're going to have to control your temper. You're going to have to control your tongue. 
They are kids. They are going to act like kids. And we know how kids act. The Bible says that foolishness is bound in the heart of what? A child. Do you remember when you were a kid? Probably not. May I remind you, you weren't perfect when you were a kid. And neither are the kids that will come our way. Remember, you're not their mom, you're not their dad. You are the joy-filled VBS worker. And you are glad they are here no matter how much they misbehave. You are rejoicing that they didn't stay home. Make them glad they came. Learn their names. Smile at them. Talk to them. Engage them. Prepare the physical. Prepare the spiritual. Prepare the team. Your coworkers. Everything is not going to go perfectly right this week. Things are going to go wrong. Determine tonight that you're going to get along with others because we want to reach kids for Christ. Determine right now that you're going to be a good team player. Repeat after me, I will not get upset. I am really upset that you wouldn't participate. I ask you to do one thing, two things, stand up and speak up. Repeat after me, I will not get upset. Say it again like you mean it. I will not get upset. That was good. I will have the joy of the Lord no matter what. I will have the joy of the Lord no matter what. I will love these kids. I will love these kids. I didn't say you had to like them. You just got to love them. You got to love them. Love them with the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, let's love them. Let's lead them to Christ. But you can't be overzealous. True professions of faith are not a problem. But false professions are a big problem. We do not want to lead children to make empty professions of faith and give them false assurance. After all, who wants to go to hell? Nobody. Young children often, they want to get saved because they, they want to go to heaven. But when questioned if they have little knowledge or conviction of sin, stop, stop. Teachers and parents should be careful with these little ones who are safe. I'm talking about the four and the five-year-olds. They're not yet saved. Why do children who make professions for the wrong reasons? Maybe they want to please the adult. Maybe they want to be praised. Maybe they want to get out of trouble. Maybe they want to do it because everyone else is doing it. It's often difficult to determine if a child is saved right away. Children are seldom or saved out of deep sin. And so it may take some time to discern if that profession was genuine or not. Here are a couple of, of ways that I believe you can know good indications that the salvation in a child is real. Improvement in attitude, growth in character. There is a change. 
because the Holy Spirit is there. Salvation is the foundation of Christian character, but, but character can be formed in the hearts and lives of children that are lost because they've been taught Bible principles and parents who are investing into their lives. But it can only be fully effective when they trust Christ and the Spirit of God actually comes into their heart and then that, that full Christian character and fruit of the Spirit begins to grow because, because God is there and they've been saved. Kids are important to Jesus and they need to be important to us. So what do we do? What do we say? We keep the gospel and the love of God continually before them. We keep them under the influence of spirit-filled leaders, the influence of the Holy Spirit. Uh, young Samuel is a good example uh, to us. We pray for their salvation and we never give up until they get saved. We prepare ourselves to lead VBS children to the Lord. And that means you need to stay ready spiritually. You need to have your Bible marked with Bible verses. When you do that, you receive the great blessing of opening God's Word and leading a child to Christ. Answer all their questions. Ask them if they have questions. Review what you've said to them. Questions about salvation and heaven and hell. Answer truthfully. Answer simply on their age level and understanding. Assure them of God's love and God's care. And never discourage a child who has heard the gospel and is making a spontaneous profession of faith in Christ. Jesus Christ led many people who heard him one time and they responded. But if they do not understand either their sin or salvation, if, if, then, then take time, answer questions, assure them of God's care and his desire to save them. All anyone needs to be saved is conviction of sin and belief that Jesus Christ died for them and they can receive the gift of the resurrected Savior. Follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit in leading children to Christ. Several indications of the Spirit's leadership. There's, there's favorable circumstances. They are responding to the invitation, to the lesson. There's conviction. There's repentance. There's all of a sudden a concern about their soul. Be there, be ready to help. And then use an open, open Bible. Point them so that they can look into the Bible. They will remember that. They will remember they opened the Bible and they showed me God's promises. They may not remember the particular verses, but they're going to remember that someone sat down, a teenager, uh, a man, a woman, and opened the Bible and touched the verse. This is God's promise. This is what God says. And let the child pray. Ask them if they want to pray in their own words. Ask them if they would like to, to follow you in prayer. Lead the child who has accepted Christ to thank him for salvation. And many times, your heart will be touched as you see this happen. But you know, we all get to be a part of it, whether you're working in the parking lot or on the bus or you're doing the crafts. You may not be the actual one having the Bible in your hand, but it's the crown of rejoicing we are all participating in when a child gets saved. Here's the irony. Here's the irony. We try so hard to get our children to act like adults. Jesus tries to get adults to act like children. And that's good news for all of us who get caught eating the ice cream right out of the container, isn't it? <laughs> we must become like children to receive the kingdom of God. One more verse. 
We'll not spend a lot of time at it, but it's very important. Verse 6. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Now, if you believe on Christ, then you become one of these little ones. But clearly, there's a double meaning here. There's a child in his midst. God hates child abuse. God hates child abuse, and so do we. Moms and dads, you need to get that sheet. You need to talk to your kids. You need to prepare them. Pagan Gentiles used this form of execution. This is not something Jesus created out of his imagination. He, he took it out of history, abhorrent to the Jews. We, we think of, of back in the latter the early part of the last century of the, the mobsters and the mafia where they would take their enemies and, and put them in a, a bucket of cement and throw them off the Brooklyn Bridge. And we think, oh, it's such, such barbarism for those mobsters to treat one another that way. But 2,000 years ago, Jesus said, that would be better that would be better to have that done to you than to offend one of these little ones. That's, that's a serious statement. Yes, they're going to have runny noses. And yes, they're going to talk back. Yes, they're going to scrape their knees and bleed. And yes, they're going to talk when they're not supposed to talk. And we're going to love them. We're going to point them to Jesus Christ. And this is what God wants from us this week. May we pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you love the children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white. We know they're precious to you. So, Father, help, help us to get it in our hearts that they are to be precious to us. Now, Father, I pray. I pray tonight that every single one of us can be involved in one way or another, praying and giving and participating and serving. Help us to do our part with joy and to be spirit-filled and to work together as a team to counter blessings, to not complain, and then to step back and watch the Spirit of God do what we cannot do. Heads about, eyes are closed. If you're here tonight and and you've heard this simple message of salvation that Jesus died for you and rose again, but you're not sure that heaven is your home, how tragic it would be that we talk about leading kids to Christ and you walk out without Christ in your heart. Anyone at all tonight, God has spoken to my heart. I need to be saved. I'm not sure if heaven is my home, but the Spirit of God is, is knocking on my heart and I want to receive Christ tonight. Would you raise your hand? I need to be saved. Anyone like that here tonight? Just hold your hand up high. I need to trust Christ as my Savior, anyone at all. Father, now I pray you bless in this invitation time as we consider what we can do in our church, our church family, to reach our community. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. May we stand together as we sing a song of invitation tonight. My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine, and we want him to be in the hearts of the kids and teens that come our way. Let's sing together. My Jesus, I love you.